Um, it is so great to be back and to see that you guys long to be in a building and that you have this beautiful building. It's so neat to see. Um, although I think that since I was here in the beginning and Scott and Jules would stick me in a room with the Matthews brothers and we would set up every morning and uh, get everything out of the trailer. I think that's what convinced my husband and I maybe to move overseas, but um, maybe we'd still be here if we'd have this building. Uh, we, uh, we do serve with a school called Wise Windward Island School of Evangelism in the Caribbean. And um, it's a little bit like um, churches here where you're reaching people. We're trying to reach the Caribbean. There's a lot of countries there that don't have churches, or if they do have a church, currently one of our graduates is from um, Dominica, and there's no church there. Or one of our students is from Dominica, and there's no church there. And so um, those are the students that we're working with to train them to go back to churches or to um, help pastors that are getting too old and can't be there to help um, relieve them that they can uh, encourage the churches there. And so um, we were really blessed by Adventure this year because you guys helped um, to send the dices from the church family to come and help us get. We just did a big move um, to Barbados and moved the whole school so we could reach more students there. And they came and helped us get the campus ready, and that was such a blessing. And we, um, it's so neat for me to think back that when the church here started, it was, we would sit at tables at Rayleigh's. I'm sure Scott shared this story. And we would um, invite people to come to the church before it got started. And to think that from that table to the church that you guys have now, to the extension that you are in the Caribbean helping um, plant churches there and helping raise leaders there, I'm just amazed that all that, God's doing here through that. So thank you very much. Well, good morning, everybody. That was pathetic. Good morning. There we go. Who's excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Man, that was some wonderful, wonderful worship. It is, it is such a joy and a treat for our family to get to be here. And like Amanda said, uh, it is, it's, a, it's a joy to uh, be able to get to be back here at Adventure. And man, what an amazing new building. And uh, man, God is at work. And, and it's, a, it's a treat for us to get to be here. And so uh, before I get started, I want to thank you uh, because this church has been a part of uh, our wild adventures and journeys for a long time now. And so uh, we couldn't do what we do without you, and so we are very thankful for you and uh, for your partnership with Wise and uh, with our family, and so uh, we, are, we just really appreciate uh, Adventure. Um, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to go ahead and open them up to the book of Hebrews this morning. That's where we're going to be. Um, <clears throat> here, here you're going to see a picture that's going to come up on the screen. There's a young lady named Cassandra. And she was 17 years old when, when our family first met her. She was a young girl raised by an alcoholic and abusive mother. She was raised in a neighborhood of squatters that, by all stretches of, of the imagination, people told us she was rescued uh, by a man who was more, almost three times her age and took her off the street uh, where she was living and began a relationship with her where by the time we met her when she was 17, she had two children. She had a two-year-old little boy and a newborn 
infant boy as well. And she was living in these shacks, and everything looked abysmal. Nothing looked promising. It looked like there was absolutely no hope for her. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 reads this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. The first night may have been the worst for us. We hadn't really slept much. We had gone on this long journey from the Midwest all the way up to Canada, down to Barbados in the midst of this, all this chaos of trying to remove, uh, move our campus from the island of St. Vincent to the island of Barbados. And none of us had, had gotten much rest. We had 14 suitcases and 14 carry-ons, and somehow we had children in the midst of this. Uh, we have a newborn baby girl uh, who's six, six weeks old, but we also have three older children. And so we have all of this luggage, all of this stuff, and we arrive into, into Barbados, and it was evening, and man, oh man, was it hot. Barbados is so, so incredibly hot, and when we got there, it was one of the hottest periods that the island had ever experienced. In fact, the hottest it had been in over 100 years. And we arrived there in the evening, and we were sweating to death, and we were going, what in the world is going on? The campus that we arrived at, I remember I was so excited to introduce my wife to this new campus. No one had seen it except myself. And I remember she looked around the campus and saw how poor the conditions were of the buildings and how run down everything was. And she looked at me and she said, you deceived me. (laughs) I remember that first night as we were trying to put our kids to bed, we were in this little dorm room where we lived for the first month and there were four beds we have five and at that time we had five in our family we had 14 suitcases and the 14 carry-ons and the five people in this little room and we were sweating all over the place and I remember as we were trying to get our kids to bed that night my my wife was looking at me and she's going what is going on here there's so many creepy crawly things in Barbados and centipedes and millipedes and and I remember that first night as these things were crawling down the walls and so that our kids wouldn't get even more scared she would point to these things and and I would smash them with my shoe real quick and the kids would turn around and go what was that I go what was what what are you talking about that spot on the wall has always been there the kids finally went to sleep and I remember As Amanda and I laid there in bed, she began to cry and I began to cry as well. And these questions and thoughts went through my head and I remember I asked myself, what are we doing? Why are we here? What did I lead my family into? God, I didn't sign up for this. Or did I? Corey Ten Boom once said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Will you pray with me? Gracious Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for another day of life. We give you thanks for your son, for your word. God, your truth that the world desperately needs. Father, I pray that God, as we open your word, as we study it, look at it, God, may you reveal truth to us. May you speak to our hearts and our minds and help us, Lord, to learn and to grow 
So that, Father, when we leave here, we'll not quite be the same. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 is a pretty amazing chapter. In fact, it's called the faith chapter. And when you're looking through this, through this uh, chapter, you get these, these incredible heroes of old, these men of faith. And I don't know if anybody else in here likes baseball, but I love baseball. And when you're looking through this list of all these guys, you have, it's almost like an all-star lineup of faith. You have this, these incredible men that have done amazing things for the Lord. Men like Abel and Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. All of them pleased God with their faith, which is why they're recorded in Hebrews chapter 11. But in verses 5 and 6 is the... There's a man whose name is on that list that almost seems like he doesn't quite fit, and his name is Enoch. And verses 5 and 6, he's mentioned as one who walked with God. And if you'll look at these verses with me, we're going to take a look at Enoch's life. And it says this, in verse 5 of chapter 11, it says, By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. When you read of that, you don't even really get an idea of what Enoch did that was so incredible in his faith. All these other people that the writer of Hebrews lists, I mean, you have a lot of examples, like you have this great story of Joseph and what he did, or the story of Moses or Abraham. But Enoch, what do we really know about this guy? Well, to be honest, we don't really know a whole lot about him. In fact, the only place that we're really told much about him is in the book of Genesis, chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. Just a few verses at the beginning of the Bible. And in Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, we're told that here that Enoch is the father of Methuselah, the oldest man to have ever lived. We're told that Enoch was, was nothing special or nothing extraordinary. In fact, we're not even told that he had this incredible faith, but we are told one thing, and it's the only thing that matters. This one little line that says that Enoch was a man who walked with God. I don't know you, and I know you don't really know me. But at the end of it all, when you die and your gravestone is sitting there, what is going to be on it? All of us are going to taste death. And what's going to be on that gravestone? Here lies John Doe, an amazing father. An incredibly hard worker, and a great teacher or inspirer of many. All of those are commendable, all of those are great, but if Enoch had a gravestone, which he doesn't, but if he did, it would have read, here lies Enoch, the man who walked with God. That's incredible. That's something I would love to be known as. 
to know God so intimately, to know Him so deeply that you're identified as someone who literally walked with Him. It's reminiscent of Adam when he would walk with God in the cool of the evening in the garden. And here you have this picture of this this man who knew God so intimately... But what's so incredible about Enoch is that his story is no different than yours and mine. You see, Enoch's faith had a starting point. You're not born into this life with an incredible amount of faith. It is something that has a starting point, and then you have to encourage it and nurture it and grow. And for Enoch, we see in Genesis 5, verses 21 through 24, that his faith had a starting point as well. And I love the Bible because it's so real. It doesn't paint our heroes in this, in this incredible light like many of the ancient other uh, holy books and other ancient uh, religions and cultures in the ancient Near East. They, they would paint these pictures of their kings and heroes that they were flawless, they were gods. But the Bible doesn't do that. Instead, for Enoch, you see how real he is. It says that his faith, you see that his faith had a starting point. When he became a father. And I know there's a lot of fathers. If you're a, if you're a dad, please raise your hand. Wow, look at all those hands. Huh. And I don't know if you're like me, but I remember the first time I held my daughter when she was born. And everyone's going, congratulations, dad. And I remember looking down at her face and holding her and rocking her and thinking, what in the world am I doing? Now what's next? Where are the instructions for this? And I get this picture that Enoch, on the day that his son was born, as he was holding his son in his arms, he had the exact same questions. What do I do? How am I going to get through this? I need some help here. And he reaches his arm up to take hold of the father's hand. Because as a father is the only one who's going to be able to help lead him through. I love holding my kids' hands as we walk across parking lots or we're in a store. It's one of my, the greatest joys that I can have as a father. Holding my kids' hands. They trust me. They go wherever I lead them. And it's a great picture of what Enoch does here. With a father where he reaches up his hand and he begins a journey of walking with God. C.S. Lewis once said, you can't know. You can only believe or not. Cassandra began coming to church with us every single Sunday. It was pretty incredible. She started having Bible studies with Amanda she started, as she would come to church every week, we would drive the school truck down over into the area where she was from called Pole Yard. And every single Sunday, she would come out there, she'd have her, she'd have her baby in tow, she'd be walking with her two-year-old, and every Sunday she would bring them. And literally, she would throw them into the back of the truck, she would get in with them, and every Sunday that would go by, we started to notice there were a few more people that would start to come to church every Sunday. And there were people that she was inviting. And every Sunday when we would go there, these people started coming and coming. Instead of just a couple people here and there, all of a sudden you're having a dozen people wanting to come to church. 
And I, don't, I love living overseas. And one of the reasons why I love it is because there's far fewer rules, like in driving. Seatbelts are overrated. You can throw as many people into a vehicle as you want. And I love a truck because as long as they tap the side of the truck, that means they're good to go, which means you can drive. So people are hanging off the sides. It doesn't matter. And we're taking them to church because of Cassandra, the 17-year-old girl. And every Sunday when she was coming, she started to get more involved in church and started helping out with the kids. My wife would take her and all these kids to go to kids' church every Sunday. And while they would sit around and be doing this, it was one of Cassandra's favorite moments out of the week because instead of actually helping these little kids with drawing pictures or coloring for the story, it was actually her time where she would actually get to color, where she would get to draw. A 17-year-old girl robbed of her childhood. After several months had gone on, I approached Cassandra and I said, Cassandra, going to church isn't enough. Do you want to know what this is all about? Because going to church won't save you. It may make you feel good. It may make things better, but it's not what it's all about. I said, do you want to know what it's all about? Do you want to know Jesus? And we started to meet together and she told me, she goes, you know, Bryce, this isn't the, you're not the first one that's ever wanted to talk to me about Jesus. She said, actually, I've talked to several other people about him. She said, but I didn't ever want to do anything about it because I don't want things in my life to change. Does this sound a little reminiscent to our world and our society today? People are people. After meeting with her for about two months, she finally got to the point where she said, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm ready for this. She said, I want to get baptized. And I said, this is great. I said, we'll go to the world's greatest baptistry, the ocean. And we'll go get in there. And I, and I said, it's going to be great. And she had this big smile on her face. And she said, can I, can I invite my family? I said, oh, Cassandra, absolutely, you can invite your family. She said, can I invite my friends? I said, oh, yes, you can invite your friends. She said, can the wise family come, the, the staff and the students? I said, we will all be there. She said, can we have food? I said, can we, what? <laughs> she said, can we, have, can we have food? Can we have all this, all this food and I have a big picnic out there on the beach? And I said, huh, I, I suppose so. So we got all this food together. We went down there. All these people were there. And I'll never forget as she went out into the water. You're going to see a picture of her. When I baptized her into the water and she came up, I've never seen someone with the biggest smile on their face. She began jumping up and down and she gave me this big bear hug. I thought she was going to tackle me in the water. She ran out of the water, and anyone who, would, who she could grab, she was embracing everyone. She was so excited, hugging her kids. And as I stood there in the water, and I watched this scene unfold before me, I thought to myself, oh, how fitting. Because isn't that what it's all about? 
The joy of knowing that your sins are washed away. The joy of knowing that the one who came has paid for it all. And you understand that. And the celebration that unfolds there on the beach is the same celebration that was unfolding in heaven. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Belief is the first step, but the story doesn't end there. Faith that pleases God is when it is lived out. James chapter 2 verse 18 says, But some will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Enoch walked with God. I love that the Bible uses a verb there. You you see, you don't sit with God. You don't meditate with God. You don't stand with God. Do you walk with Him? Are you moving with Him? Enoch lived. He did. He breathed and he spoke. His life was about his relationship with the Lord. For my birthday this year, I didn't even know what it was until we came back to the States a little bit ago. But a Fitbit, does everybody know what a Fitbit is? Everybody, yeah, yeah, everyone's going, I've got it. I've got so many steps. <laughs> and she got me this for my birthday because I thought, wow, well, that's a neat thing. You know, measuring how many steps you take a day and everybody trying to get, you know, more fit, more in better shape and all that. And I thought, man, that's, that's amazing. I, as I thought about it more, though, I thought, you know, I wonder what would happen if they made a faith bit. Where it measured how many steps you have been walking in faith with the Lord. Would you be very fit? Or would you be pretty obese? So Enoch walked with God. He knew God. And he walked with him intimately in faith each day. Living out our faith is necessary. It's done in the big ways. It's done in the little ways. Yet, it's something as Christians we struggle with because walking with God in faith costs and it requires far more than many of us are willing to give. The new campus of Wise is in such bad shape. There, There were new roofs that needed to be put on. There were windows needing replaced. Plumbing problems, electrical, flooring, painting, and this big new campus had so much yard work. I'll never forget as our house was being worked on, Amanda and I sat on the floor in one of the rooms and we looked at each other and we thought, what in the world are we doing? How are we going to get through all of this? And we made this list on this piece of paper of all that needed to be done. And we thought, oh, there's a few people, that, a few groups that were wanting to come and be a part of this. But we thought, man, there's, there's so much to be done. Where there's no way that all of this is going to get accomplished. And I remember as I sat there and we looked at each other, the thoughts ran through my mind again. What are we doing? How are we going to get through this? Over the course of the next five months, God showed up. We had more than 300 people come down from all across the United States, from California, from Washington, Colorado, Kansas, Missouri, Texas, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky. 
Everything that we wrote down on that piece of paper, everything that needed to be done was not only accomplished, but far more than we even wrote down. All the roofs that we thought could maybe be finished, we got even more than those done. I'll never forget Mr. Marshall, who was the guy who supplied me with the tin that we put on our rooftops. And I remember he came into my office one day and he goes, Bryce, I'll have to tell you, you're my favorite customer. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I, I bet we are. And he said, I've never seen anything in all my years. I've never seen anything like this. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, I've never seen so many people who have given up of their time and their money. And they come down here and they work for free and they're putting these new roofs on. He said, and so I'm surprised because they actually know what they're doing. He said, I've never seen anything like that. He goes, can you explain that to me? And I remember I looked at Mr. Marshall and I said, if you think that's pretty amazing, I said, you want to know what's even more incredible? What's even more incredible about that is that not only did those people come and they gave her their time and their money and their expertise, I said, but they also paid for the materials to put it on as well. And he, about, and he fell down into the chair into, the, into my office and he shook his head, his jaw dropped down. And he said, no, how is that possible? There's, there's no way anyone would do that. And I said, Christians will. The church will. You see, when you walk by faith, people will go and people will come and they'll do incredible things because those people that were coming, they lived and they walked and they breathed by faith. They said, this is a good thing and I want to be a part of it. Walking by faith costs a lot. God has done incredible things this past year and he's taught us how important it is to hang on to him even when it seems like there's no way. But I don't, want to, I don't want to paint this picture that everything is perfect and goes accordingly and goes well if you, if you live and you walk by faith, because it doesn't. If you read further into Hebrews chapter 11 and go into, verse, into chapter 12, you'll see that there's all kinds of struggles that happen if you walk by faith. You may be sawed in two. <laughs> you may be imprisoned. We still have our own struggles. We're still struggling with the Bayesian government to try to get our students. We're still trying to get staff. We're still trying to, to deal with everything that still needs to be done on the campus. There's still so much that needs to happen. Our properties in St. Vincent are still for sale. So if you're interested in, in island uh, property, come talk to me. But even when it's hard and it doesn't all come together like we'd hoped, do we still walk with him? I love the picture of the Israelites wandering around in the desert for 40 years after they left Egypt. It does not take 40 years to leave and to get from Egypt to the promised land. It doesn't take that long. But God made them wander in the desert for 40 years for what reason? So that they would learn what it is to walk with God. So they know what it is to rely and to believe and to trust in Him and to Him alone. And if it takes 40 years, then it takes 40 years. And that may be you, wandering around in the desert. You feel aimless, you feel lost, you feel hopeless, you feel like God is not there. You can't find a job. 
The cancer that was in remission comes back even stronger than it did before. Your family goes through trial after trial, crisis after crisis, and you begin to look out and you go, God, I'm in the desert. God, where are you? God, I need you. And I don't, and I don't have all the answers, but I do know this, that the desert has a starting point, the desert has an end point. I, we just don't know where we're at in the middle of that. You see, the question is not, are you, gonna, are, is, are you in the desert? The question is, are, are you holding on to him as you walk through it? I love the picture of Moses who's on this all-star lineup of faith in Hebrews 11. He pleased God with his faith, and yet he never saw the promised land. Have you ever thought about that? He did all of this for God. He, he left his home. He went back to Egypt. He led the people out of Egypt across the Red Sea, the wandering in the desert, but he actually never got to go to the final point. The promised land, the place where they've been trying to get to forever, and he never got to go into it. You see, for you, it doesn't always, living, living and walking in faith doesn't always end with a happy ever after story. But when you walk in faith, it doesn't necessarily need to. Will you still walk with him even though you may feel like the job that you should get doesn't come your way? The promotion that you feel you deserve doesn't happen? The raise that you desire doesn't come? The recognition, the scholarship, whatever it may be, just because you walk in faith, It doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have a happily ever after. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Living out our faith is not easy. It never is. We're not always told all the details, but our calling is still the same. Pleasing God is sharing our faith and living our faith. And so I have a question for you this morning, and I want your attention. You see, I'm a teacher at heart. So I want a little class participation here. Do you know that God wants to use you? Do you know that God wants to use you? Do you know that he has something special planned for you? Do you know that he loves you and he cares for you? And he has your name in the storybook that he holds. Do you know that? Then why don't we walk it? And why don't we live it? And why do we count and care so much about our money, about our culture, about our family, about things that we're passing, things that that are fleeting? Will you walk in faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. While I was still in Barbados and my family was in the States for a time being a few months ago, I would talk to my family at night, and, and every, every day I'd get to talk to Amanda and the kids. And I remember, I'll never forget this one evening, as I talked to Amanda on the phone, and she said, your middle son, my son Beckett, who right now is, he just turned seven, but at the time he was six. She said, he is so eager to talk to you. And I said, okay. She said, because he wants to tell you what he wants to be when he grows up. He has been bothering me all day about this. 
And, my, and Beckett is, is, is one of those boys, he's either all or nothing. And he's either, you know, jumping off the walls or he's, you know, flat out on the floor. There's no middle ground with him. And so I get on the phone and I'm expecting to hear, I want to be a fireman or I want to be a race car driver. Anything with, a machi- with an engine or a steering wheel, that's what he's all about. And so I get on the phone, I said, hey, bud. I said, what's going on? I said, mommy told me that you have something to tell me. He said, yes, daddy, daddy. Do you want to know what I want to be when I grow up? I said, I don't know, Beck. What do you want to be? And he goes, Daddy, I want to be a baptizer. And I said, what? Does that have a steering wheel? I I couldn't remember. I go, what do you mean, bud? I go, you want to be a baptizer? He said, yes, Daddy. He goes, I want to tell people about Jesus, and then I want to baptize them. Does that make you happy? (laughs) 